chapter 20. Let's turn there just a reminder as to where we are in the book of Acts. Paul is giving an address to the elders from Ephesus. In the book of Acts, we're seeing God's mission for his church, and uh, now we're seeing uh, some specific instructions that are given to leaders in the church. This is our fourth week of looking at these instructions that Paul gives here in chapter 20, and Lord willing, it's our last week in this address, and we'll see how things go this morning. But we're looking at verses 28 through 38. We, we began looking at three imperatives that Paul gives to elders as he's addressing them more specifically. We saw that he's telling them to run the course. He's telling them to realize who gave them their ministry, and he's also telling them to grasp the nature of their authority. And then we're going to look at three more imperatives this morning. So if you're able to, would you stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together as a church, again, beginning in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Father, we are grateful to you for your word. We are grateful to you for this church, and we ask that you would protect us, that you would help us to, to treasure this church as you yourself treasure her, and to care well for, the, for this gift that you have given us. We pray that our hearts would be sensitive to your truth this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. When you're entrusted with something that's precious, you, you want to protect it. I think about being a, a dad and being entrusted with, with children. I, I want to be careful with them. I want to protect them. I can remember being a, a pretty new dad. I think Hannah was just a couple weeks or months old, and we, we took a, a tour of a lock and dam system. And I remember kind of holding Hannah and, and being very high up and kind of looking down over the railing and, and thinking, why am I the one holding Hannah right now? Like, I'm the most clumsy of, of everyone here. What happens? And just kind of having that, that sinking feeling in your stomach as you just kind of get, you know, nervous about being high up and thinking, why? Well, you know, what if I trip? I'm just imagining, you know, flashbacks to high school and, and dropping uh, footballs that were thrown to me. And just, just you know, and this daughter. In fact, recently, it was just a, a week or so ago, Hannah was talking to Whitney and I, and she said, you know, I, I just realized that you guys are about, or I'm about the same age you were when you had me. And she says, I had this, this vision of you as, as mature, knowledgeable adults that were handed this baby. <laughs> and she goes, you guys knew nothing. <laughs> and that is way more true than she realizes. You know what I mean? <laughs> she doesn't even know how little we knew, right? But you're, you're entrusted with a child. You want to protect it and care for it. A child's a precious thing. A church is a precious thing. And those of you who are elders have been entrusted with a, a precious entity, this, this church. God has, has given unto you 
the care of this precious body. And as we think about what that looks like, elders, those of you in this room who are elders, just just think about this. this. This room has hundreds of people in it with thousands of problems and thousands of things that, that they're going through. And, and God has, has handed the church to you and said, okay, care for her. There are, in this room, there, there are young men who, who are struggling with, with sexual immorality and, and they don't desire to be, to be having some of the struggles they are having. And God has, has given them to you, elders, and said, okay, care for them. God has, has given us young women in this church, and, and some of them are, are in relationships that they're struggling with. They're not sure what to do. They, they, they think maybe this isn't a relationship God would have me in. I, I don't know what to do with this. Elders, God has given them to you and said, okay, care for their souls. There are middle-aged men in this room who are just shouldering the responsibilities of life and, and are overwhelmed by it. And are, I don't know if I can continue to do the things that God has called me to do. Maybe I should give up. Elders, God has given them to you and said, okay, care for them. There are, there are marriages in this room that are, that are struggling and, and, and they want to be obedient to God, but they're not sure, can I continue to be obedient to God in these areas? And elders, God has given them to you and said, okay, care for them. There are older saints in this room who have experienced tremendous loss over the last weeks or months and, and they're, they're struggling with that. And elders, God has said, okay, here you go, care for them. That is overwhelming, isn't it? It's overwhelming to think about that. The church is a precious thing. And God has said, okay, care for her. You're responsible for her. The beautiful thing is that God has told us how to do it, right? God has given us his word and given, and given us instructions on in how to care for her, how to hold this precious church in our care. And some of those instructions are found in this text. We're, we're concluding, again, Lord willing, our, our look at Paul's words to the elders at Ephesus. And again, this is the main idea that I want all of us to, to think about as we think about how this passage applies to us. Here's what we want to do. We want to lovingly exhort your shepherds to study and obey God's word. So there's a, a special emphasis that I, I have for those of you who are elders this morning, but there's also this emphasis for all of us that, that as we look at what elders are to do, we want to lovingly exhort your shepherds to study God's word and then obey it. And as we talked about several weeks ago, there's applications for all of us here. First of all, we need to take what God's word says about elders, and when we see elders doing well in this area, we can encourage them. When we see them not doing well, we can admonish them and say, hey, this is what God's word says that we need from you. Please be faithful to it. And then we can also imitate. So as we see what elders are to do and we see them doing it well, we can say, okay, I want to imitate that in my life as well. And, and obviously, a lot of these principles are applicable for all believers in the areas that God is shepherding you. You know, I, a few weeks ago on Mother's Day, I, I kind of jokingly said that the title of the message is uh, Every Elder Had a Mother. Uh, but in reality, uh, a mom uh, t told me, she says, it's actually very applicable to me as, as a mom. And, and she's exactly right. So, again, we've seen three instructions so far. They've been told to run the course. Elders have been told to realize who gave you your ministry and to grasp the nature of your authority. And now let's, let's look at the fourth imperative here. Number four, elders, treasure the church. Treasure the church. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, we've kind of looked at two instructions from this verse already. Let's step back and, and consider what the verse says. Look at the text. It says there's, there's, a, there's a primary imperative there, a, a primary command. And what is it? It's to pay careful attention. And there are two parts to that instruction. Pay careful attention to yourself, so your individual life, be very careful, and then also to all the flock. So that's the instruction. We're going to unpack that more as we look at the, the next imperative to elders. But that's the overall, overall overarching instruction. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. And then, look at the text, there's a reason for the command. 
Paul says, here's why I'm telling you to do this. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't just randomly draw some people from Ephesus and say, hey, there's a situation. I want you guys to care for the flock. Here's seven people. I'm going to give you some instructions. No, he, he grabs the elders. In my, in my house, we have a situation. Maybe you don't have this in, in your home, but in, in our home, we sometimes have dirty dishes in the sink. And there's a very interesting phenomenon. No one's actually responsible for those dirty dishes, right? You, you, you tell a child, hey, um, would you mind uh, doing the dishes? Oh, th- those aren't mine. Oh, well, what about this bowl? Well, the bowl is mine, but the rest of the dishes are not mine. Oh, okay, well, maybe it's your, maybe it's your brother's. Hey, do you mind doing the dishes? Oh, th- those aren't mine. Well, what about this plate? Well, the plate is mine, but all the, I don't know where the rest of those came, came from, right? In other words, all of us, or six people in our family, are, are responsible for one-sixth of the dishes, but not all of them. They're no one's responsibilities and everyone's, right? So Paul here, Paul here makes it clear, okay, as you think about all the situations, all the dirty dishes that are getting in church, who's responsible for the, the dirty dishes of the church? Well, it's ultimately the elders. Ultimately, he says, the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this two weeks ago, has made you overseers. You're responsible to what? To care for the church of God. And then, and again, that word care is the word that's used, that's, that's translated also shepherd or, or pastor of the church of God. And then he says, here, here's the further reason. Look at the text again. Care for this church. And, and how valuable is the church? How, how precious is the church? He says, it's the church which God obtained with his own blood. That is the blood of his, his son, Jesus. God the Father obtained the church through the blood of Jesus. That word obtained is, is a very beautiful word. It's the, the Greek word parapoieo. It, it means to acquire possession of something that, that requires effort. So, how many of you guys are, are young kids and uh, sometimes, this is a question for the kids in the church, how many times have you sometimes wanted something and you've, you've been in the store and you've seen this cool toy and you've asked mom for it and she said, uh, no, I'm not going to buy that for you. How many of you ever had mom say she isn't going to buy you something? Yeah, me too. Actually, I've said it a lot too. You know? and, she, and sometimes mom will say this, she'll say, what, save your money, Right? Why don't you save your money and you can buy it? And so you go home and you, you do some chores and you get some money from the chores and then, and then you go and you buy that, that action figure or that toy or whatever it is. And so what is that? It's not, it's not something you were just given. It's something you acquired, you got by, by saving your money, by, by, by giving up something for it. That's, that's the word that's being used here. The, the church didn't give herself to God. God acquired the church, purchased the church, with something precious, the blood of God the Son. In fact, that word parapoieo highlights the value of the church in several ways. We're going to dive too deeply into this, but, but just notice a, a, a couple of things here. First of all, it implies that there was a plan to acquire the church. It didn't just happen. From eternity past, God has, has had a plan to acquire the church in Ephesians Chapter 3, Paul says that he's proclaiming the mystery of the gospel, and this, this proclamation of the good news was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. There's a theological phrase, particular redemption, and, and what that simply means is that the triune God didn't just randomly come and and acquire the church, but God the Father sent God the Son to die on the cross. He didn't think, well, maybe, maybe I'll just send uh, God the Son and, and he'll die for sins and some people will get saved. No, from eternity past, God had an intent. The triune God had an intent to save the people who would be redeemed. The, the church wasn't just some afterthought, some haphazard thing. The, the great hymn, The Church is One Foundation, says this, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. And then listen to what the hymn says. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. 
With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. The church is a treasure. I think sometimes we think about Jesus Christ's death as just he kind of, he died in a very non-specific way for sins in general or people in general. And and there's, in Scripture, we see that there is a, a specific intent in the death of Jesus to bring the church into existence, to save his people. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life, but not in just a, a general way, in a specific way, for, his, for the sheep. In 1 John chapter 4, we see that God sent his only son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the complete satisfaction for our sins. In Ephesians chapter 5, husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He gave himself up in a very specific purpose for her. We see here the value of the church. Christ had a plan. The triune God had a plan from eternity past to save his people. We also see the value in that word parapoieo in the and the price of redemption. How did that redemption come about? Again, look at the text. The price was the blood of the lamb. Blood shed for the church that was precious and of infinite value. There are so many texts that I could take you here to. Just let me do a couple here. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That is you, the, the elect of God, he would say in chapter 1. You were, you, were, you, were, you were ransomed not with perishable things like silver or gold, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So from eternity past, this, this was the plan to purchase the church with the blood of Christ. And it is going to be in eternity future that we continue to proclaim the purchase of the church with the blood of Christ. In Revelation chapter 5, we read that a new song was sung, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ran people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So here's the implied command, elders, treasure this church. There are tremendous implications for those of you who are entrusted in leadership of this church, and for all of us, right? Tremendous implications. One, there are things we must not do to the church if we are to treasure her. Don't let there be bad teaching take place within this, this precious church. Don't damage the church with sinful heart attitudes and actions like grudges or bitterness or gossip. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, good, as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Those things have no place in the church. The church is a, a precious, a precious thing. God has given us. And so we need to be very careful. There are things we need to not do. I have some, some pastor friends, a couple pastor friends, who have told me that their children have never heard them say a negative word about anyone in the church, which tells me that some of my pastor friends are liars. <laughs> Unintentionally, maybe. My kids could not say the same thing. But I don't think it's 
all my fault. Sometimes uh, kids are smart and they just hear things, okay? Right? Who was that yelling at daddy? Don't worry about it. You know. but what I have tried to commit to do is, is, to, is to put negative things that they hear about the church in context. And I do try to, 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 to shield them from some things, but some things they're just going to pick up on. But, but to try to help them say, okay, look, yeah, there, there, are, there are people who are going to be struggling with things just like dad sometimes says things in the heat of a moment that he doesn't necessarily mean. You're going to hear some things like that as well. But overall, here, here's what I, I try to do with my children. Let's, let's put the church in its proper context. The church, I want my children to grasp, is a, a, a beautiful thing that God himself has created. He's, he's purchased with his own blood. And, and yes, there are imperfections in the church. There are people who are struggling to, to live rightly under God's grace. But, but the church is a place where people are hearing the gospel. And you've, you've seen this, kids, right? Yeah. This, the church is a place where people are hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and are responding to the gospel message and placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and we're seeing amazing things happen all the time within the context of the church. In other words, some people and some pastors, sometimes and as, as elders, we, we, we take the kind of the, the exceptions to what the, rule is, uh, what the rule of the church is to be, and we we highlight those and we minimize what, what Christ has done instead of saying, okay, look, this is what Christ has created. What, what an incredible treasure. And I, I tell my, my kids, look, um, you walk down the halls of the church and you have an incredible privilege. You are, are walking down the, the hall of the, the church and the foyer. You are surrounded by people who pray for our family on a regular basis. You are surrounded by people who give sacrificially so that you can have nice things in life and care for you. You are in a, an incredibly beautiful, precious place. And it's not just pastor's kids who can say that, right? Hopefully all of our children can say that. And point them to that. So that's what we don't want to do is we treasure the church. We don't want to do anything to damage the, 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 the beauty of the church or to, to damage people's perception of the church. What do we do? What do we commit ourselves? Well, here's what I'd say to you as elders. This church and the people in it are worth devoting your life to. That, that's another implication of this, this idea that we're to treasure the church. This church and the people in it are worth giving of your life to serve. Paul would say this to Timothy. At the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he, he would talk about the end of his life, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And so he talks about what's taken place. And he's at the end of his life. And he could have said, you know what? I have endured suffering. I've endured imprisonment for the church. I have, uh, I've been stoned. I have experienced uh, loss of family relationships and prestige. I could have had a cushy rabbi job. I gave all that up. Man, what a mistake I've made. People have deserted me here in my last imprisonment. This, this was not a good idea. But that's, that's not what Paul says. What does he say? As, as, he, as he talks about the end of his life, he says, henceforth, verse 8 of 2 Timothy 4, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, so Paul doesn't come to the end of his life and think, oh man, I've made a terrible mistake. He says it was worth it. Because this, this church is a, a precious thing. I've, I've treasured her and there's a, a reward awaiting me. It's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter would say, if you want to be an elder, you can't serve under compulsion. You can't say, okay, I'll do this, but oh man, what a sacrifice I'm making. This is such a bad deal for me. I hope everybody appreciates what I'm doing for them. That's, that's not a person who has a right understanding of what the church is. It is a privilege to care for the church. Paul, uh, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 5 that a, a person who's serving under compulsion is a person who doesn't grasp the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the treasure that 
the church is. Here's the second, excuse me, the fifth imperative here that I want us to think about. Number five, watch for danger. If you're an elder of the church, watch for danger. He says to He says in verse 28 to pay careful attention. And then he's going to later say be alert in verse 31. So we're to watch for danger. And, and there are five things that we, we see here about the, the people that are going to present a danger to the church. And, and notice these five things. Number one, we notice their existence. The, these people exist. Sometimes people kind of deny the reality of false teachers, but Scripture is very clear. Number one, these people exist. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus would say, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter warns us, false prophets arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So the first thing we see is their existence. Number two, they're, they're fierce wolves. Number two, we see their goal. What is their goal? Their goal is to destroy the church. Now, false teachers don't walk in and say, hi, you know, my name is so-and-so. I'm here to destroy the church. I've got a kind of five-year plan here. Uh, first, step one, ingratiate myself to you. Step two, gain your trusts. And then step three, destroy the church. And, you know, let's get started. That's not how false teachers work. Their goal, in fact, they may not even admit that to themselves. They might not think they're trying to destroy the church. But, but, they want to fundamentally alter what the church is so that it no longer resembles what Christ has created it to be. That's what I mean by destroy the church. So, you have a church, and what is the church to do? The church is to fulfill God's purpose for her. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and we prepare his people to worship him forever. There is both doctrine and, and life that we call people to account in. So as elders, we're watching our life and our doctrine closely. We're wanting to walk in holiness and we're wanting to teach right things. That's what the church is to do. And so what do false teachers want to do? They want to destroy that purpose. They want to turn people away from right biblical teaching and they want to encourage people to not walk in obedience to the Lord, in holiness to the Lord. We see here, as Paul is talking about them, that they are those who want to draw away disciples after them, who are fierce wolves. So maybe in our modern context, they're people who do away with teaching and want to kind of create like an amusement park atmosphere in a church, or maybe they want to take the ethos of the therapeutic age and tell people, look, live in whatever way makes you happy, but whatever, whatever guise it takes, the, the goal is to not be faithful to the gospel proclamation and witness. They present an existential threat to the church. Their goal is to destroy the church. We also, so we not only do we see their existence and their goal, but we also see some things about their character, Right? Number three, their character. They're fierce wolves. They don't spare the flock. And we can go to some other passages like Jude, the book of Jude, and, and see some more things about their character. Let me just kind of touch on a, a couple of things that we see as they work to destroy the church. They, there are people who promote immorality. Jude, verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert God's grace, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny by their life our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. These false teachers, their character is revealed by how they grumble, how they're discontent. It says in verse 16 of Jude that they're grumblers, malcontents. They follow their own sinful desires. They are people pleasers. They show favoritism to get the things that they want. Again, verse 16, they're loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. They're people who lack spiritual humility in Jude. Verse 8, Jude says they reject authority. They blaspheme glorious ones. In verse 18, they're people, he says, it was said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
These are people who are, are greedy and self-serving. Jude, verse 11, says they're those who satisfy themselves. They, they don't provide the ministry to the, to the sheep. Verse 11, woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs in your love feasts. They, they feast with you without fear. Their shepherds feed themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. So what, what do we see in their character? We see that there are those who are pursuing immorality. They're encouraging others to pursue immorality as well. They're self-centered people. They aren't humble. They're arrogant. And so instead of Instead of practicing servant leadership that we see in in Matthew chapter 20, these are people who are engaging in this self-centered ministry. He presents them as like these these waterless clouds. You would see in this this desert climate a a cloud, and you'd have hope that it's going to bring water. But instead, the the cloud comes, and it's waterless. It doesn't provide relief. That's who these people are. That's their character. They're divisive. Jude 19, it's those who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, right? They're divisive. I I can't remember who said this, but someone once said that calling out heresy isn't divisive. Being a heretic is divisive, right? And so that's, that's what these people are doing. And again, their goal is to destroy the church. Now, a fourth thing about these people, this is, this is disturbing. The fourth thing we see is their origin. What does Paul say? He says in verse 30, From among, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. So it's, it's not outside the church in Ephesus, he warns them, that these false teachers are coming, but it's from within the church. Uh, there's an urban legend I think this was, or came back from like the 1960s, right? It's a story maybe you've, you've heard before. An urban legend about a, a babysitter at a home. And uh, she keeps getting these phone calls and, and the person hanging up or whatever. And so she calls, the, or threatening the, the kids that she's babysitting. And so she calls the police and they say, well, we're going to trace the, the call. And then they, they call her back and, she, and they say, you need to get out of the house because the, the phone calls you're getting are coming from within the house. And I think they made a couple movies out of that or something. But... That's, that's, the, that's the fear, right? The, the, the freaky calls are coming from within the house. The danger is from within. That's, brothers and sisters, that's often the danger to the church. Sometimes we are really attuned to how terrible the culture is, and, and, and rightly so. We, we want the gospel to influence our culture. But Paul here, as, as he has called these elders from Ephesus to, to warn them about the danger of the church. He's not warning them about the danger in the culture. And there was plenty of cultural danger in Ephesus. His warning to them is about what's going to take place within the, their own church. Our tendency is to be much more worried about dangers outside the church, but honestly, you know, I'm way more concerned about deceit within the church than I am about deceitful politicians, right? I'm way more concerned about a lack of desire for holiness in the church than I am with a lack of desire for holiness in our culture. If we lived in a world where the church doesn't care about holiness, that is a devotion to the glory of God that's marked by continual repentance from sin, we are in a world that is far more dangerous for our children than any other world that we could imagine. Hebrews chapter 12, what does the writer tell us? He says, strive for peace with everyone and strive strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that none fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it Many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Brothers and sisters, God calls us to holiness. And elders, what I would tell you is watch your life and your doctrine closely. One of the the most pressing problems in our North American evangelical culture today is that we have 
not even, not even do we lack an, a, a desire for holiness. We don't even know what holiness looks like. We have, we have no concept of what it looks like to, to walk in obedience to a holy God who calls us to, to be devoted to him and to his glory. That is an incredible danger to the church. As I was looking through pictures for a slideshow coming up here, I was, I've mentioned this before, but it, it's more true every time I look at old pictures. The, the pictures are just tinged with sorrow. As I see picture after picture of people whose, whose lives were so precious and yet now have, have fallen away from the faith, there is a danger to the church that comes not, from with, not just from without, but also from within. A fifth thing to think here about the dangers, we think about these people, it's their methodology. What do they do? How do they, how do they accomplish this, this goal? Well, it's primarily through teaching. He says, he says, I know that after my departure, these fierce wolves will come in among you. They won't spare the flock. That's the danger they present as they try to fundamentally alter what the church is. They're from your own selves. And it says, how do they, how do they accomplish this? It says, verse 30, these men are speaking twisted things the purpose to draw away disciples after them. In other words, the primary methodology that these false teachers use is by teaching. And oftentimes by saying, here's what God's word says, or like the serpent in the garden, did God really say such and such about walking in obedience to him? Almost always, the danger is connected to teaching. So that's their existence, their goal, their character, their origin, their methodology. What can we possibly do? Well, here's what the text tells us, elders. He says, well, earlier, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock. And then he says, be alert. Remember that for, for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so the solution is to, to teach the word of God. Uh, to carefully call out el error as elders and as worldly philosophies infiltrate the church, what is the elder doing? The elder is continually calling out those, those worldly philosophies and calling people to repentance, which at times is not going to make you very popular, right? We think about the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. The deeds of the flesh, Paul says, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so as elders, what do we do? We, we sift through all the, the cultural noise and, and the voices calling for us to say this or to say that. We say, okay, what does God's word say? And where do I see the deeds of the flesh beginning to, to grow within the hearts of the flock that I love? And how do I continually say, okay, look, this is what our, this is what our, our, our flesh is desiring, but, but here's what the word of God tells us about sexual morality. Here's what it says about, about idols in our lives. And as we, we struggle with mater the materialism of our age, we say, no, no, here's what God says about idols and about worshiping him alone. As we, we see enmity within our church and we see, we see strife within the people of God, we continually as, as elders say, no, 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 this is not the work of God. This, this dissension, these divisions, these rivalries, the, these angers do not reflect the love of God and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, but are things that will destroy our souls, envy, drunkenness, this immorality, this divisiveness, as pastors, we continually call against it, not on the basis of our own thoughts and uh, feelings about the different issues of the day, but by continually calling our people to submission to the Word of God. Paul says, that's what I did. It's what you must do as well. It is the constant struggle of the elder, of the shepherd, night and day, to admonish, not with an arrogance, but with the humility of of tears. Last thing here. Entrust your ministry to God. Ask 
as he said all these things to these elders at Ephesus, he recognizes rightly that he can't, he can't force this to happen. As an elder, you can't save and preserve the sheep. And so Paul, as he comes to this conclusion, says, look, I, I commend you to God. I, I entrust you to God. And then he says, here's, here's the means by which God is going to work among his church. He says, I, I, commend, I commend you to God into the, the word of his grace, that is scripture, which is able to, and, and the teaching of the apostles, which is able to build you up and, and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. So I'm, I'm entrusting you to God. I'm entrusting you to God as he uses his word. And as he uses his word, here's what my hope for, for you is, that he will build you up and that he will lead you to the inheritance that is among all those who are sanctified. Again, that, that word sanctified means to be continually devoted to the glory of God. And so that the church is not to be some entity full of a bunch of people who have prayed a prayer, prayed the sinner's prayer, and are, are now Christians and don't have to live like it. The church is full of people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They now have the Holy Spirit residing within them. They are those who God, by his grace, has has purchased with his own blood, and he, what he has purchased, he, he will continue to, to work in and through. And so the church is full of, of redeemed people who are being what? They are being sanctified. They are being conformed to the image of his son. We call it the kind of the, the golden chain of, of Romans chapter 8. In verse 29, Paul writes, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what have we been predestined to do? It's not just go to heaven. We've been foreknown by God, and we've been predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. What is that? That's holiness, sanctification. Why? In order that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. As people look at the church, they should not just see a, a, a church full of people who are nice to each other, we're seeing a church that is an image of Jesus Christ. And then he says, all those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so Paul says, okay, look, I, I know the danger that awaits you, and all I can do is I can commend you to God and to his word that he's going to use, I have confidence he's going to use to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified that God is going to continue his good work in you. And then in verses 33 through 35, he reminds them of his ministry, and he kind of repeats on themes that he's already touched on and we've already touched on as well, but he, he talks about the nature of his ministry. Verse 33, I, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, in verse 34, he says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And so as he began to share the gospel with them, he wasn't relying upon them giving to him, but him providing for his own needs. He says, I, I've modeled for you in verse 35 that by working hard in this way, which ministry is, we, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those words aren't spoken in the gospel, but Paul knew about them from from, from other sources. And then, and then he tells them goodbye. They, they, they depart from one another. It says, he says these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there's much weeping on the part of all. They, they embrace Paul and they kiss him. And, and they're sad. They're sad about the words that he's spoken. And they're most sad that they're not potentially going to see his face again, and they accompany him to the ship. As elders, what do we do? As shepherds, what do we do? We ultimately have to entrust the ministry that God has given us to the Lord. As parents, as moms, as dads, as, as friends, as co-workers, there are people we love, and ultimately we just have to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to entrust this ministry to the Lord. When I was younger in the ministry, in my, my early 20s, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of things that frustrated me 
about the evangelical church, right? And I had this idealism, and, and I wanted everyone and everything to be perfect like I was perfect in my understanding of the church, and why couldn't people just understand things the way that I did? And I just had this, you know, just this incredible frustration when I saw ministries or, or, or fads that I didn't think were, were good and healthy fads within the Christian church. And here, here's the interesting thing. Uh, one, I was wrong a lot more than I thought I was. In fact, I was wrong a lot more than I still think I was uh, at, at the time, probably. Uh, secondly, a lot of the things that I was really worked up about and, and concerned about and spending my time thinking about, they no longer exist. You know, I, I could share with you some of the, the, the ministry fads that existed at the time, and those of you who are younger would say, you know, editing myself as I talk here, that such and such, that, that I didn't even, what does that even mean? It doesn't no longer exist. Or, or people that I was concerned about their ministries wouldn't even know who they are now. They, they built on faulty foundations that they didn't build on the Word of God. And similarly, uh, there have been people who've left ministries that I've been a part of for a variety of reasons. Sometimes maybe I Maybe I failed them in some ways and didn't care for them the way that I needed to, and they left and went to a different ministry. Or maybe they have, um, maybe there's some things that they weren't thinking rightly about and left the ministries that I was a part of. Or maybe just God, maybe it was a Paul and Barnabas situation where I see things one way, I see things a different way, and so they've left. And or maybe just um, maybe God's just providentially called them to a different church or ministry, and all those things happen, right? Again. Younger Daniel would sometimes get really concerned about it. And, and, and here's what uh, middle-aged Daniel understands. One, the story's not done with anyone yet. Me, especially. But, but two, the things that were built upon the Word of God are, are going to last I, I can commend him to God and, and, and not worry about it. There's tremendous hope here. The, the, the more faithful I was to the text of God's word in my ministry, the more I can relax and entrust people to the Lord. Second Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The same is true if you're a mom, a friend, a Sunday school teacher. He, that's the beauty of entrusting your ministry to God. The things in my ministry that, that weren't of the Lord, by God's grace, those things are going to disappear, and the more quickly they disappear, the better, right? But those things in which I was building upon people's lives and the Word of God, those are going to bear fruit, and, and not because of me, but because of God and His faithfulness in people's lives. And so the parts of my ministry that were faithful to the text of God's Word, God is going to use. He's going to use today. He's going to use maybe in a week. He's going to use in 10 years. I, I could just trust the Lord with the people that I love, and there is tremendous freedom in that for me as a shepherd, right? And for you as well. Elders, shepherds, we have been given an incredible treasure. But it's not a, a hopeless situation, right? We have God's word. So God has given us these young men, and this young man that God has brought into our ministry is struggling with sexual immorality. We're not hopeless. We go to the Word. We encourage him with 1 Corinthians 6 as we come alongside and we say, look, God tells us this, this brother, the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then we give him this hope in verse 14. Here's the hope for you, brother. God raised... God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. That's, that's done in, in connection with, with sexual morality. The same God that had the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead can deliver you from whatever sin you're struggling with. And we tell the young woman who's afraid of, 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 of loneliness and leaving a relationship, we say, look, here's, here's the beauty of 1 Corinthians 7. The, the, the unmarried woman has the ability to be holy in body and spirit. To the middle-aged man or the couple who's struggling in their marriage, we say, look, Galatians 6, brother, Galatians 6, sister, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give hope. To the older saint who's struggling as she deals with loss, we come to 1 Thessalonians 4 with her and we say, look, 
This we declare to you by a word, not from ourselves, but from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And so, sister, if you are blessed to to continue in life, here's the good news. God is still caring for those who we are no longer with, for those who are mourning, and we who are alive will We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with, not just them, but with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with, the, with these words. We have God's word. And this precious church that God has entrusted, not just to elders, but to all of us. We have the comfort of knowing what God's will is as we care one another by his grace. Lovingly exhort your shepherds to study and obey God's word for the protection, for the benefit of his precious church that he's obtained with his own blood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news that you provide for us here in your word. Lord, we do not have perfect shepherds, but we have your perfect word. We have the the blood of your son Jesus that that purchased us, that redeemed us to be your people. And, And we have the Holy Spirit residing within us to continue to sanctify us, to set us apart, to help us devote ourselves to you and to your glory. Father, we recognize there's a tremendous danger to Bethany Community Church. We recognize that we are in tremendous danger of of a lack of holiness. Father, convict us of sin. Convict us of sin even now as as we sit in these these seats. Convict us of sin, but not with a a sense of hopelessness, but with a sense of, of great hope and trust in your son Jesus to continue to complete the work that you have begun within us. For you will do so for your glory, for your people. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.